0: What I'd like to do is just have a, uh, Joe and Stuart, if you could give just a, uh, because we weren't in your breakouts, we were all in your sessions here, so, but if you guys could give a quick summary of your sessions, one or two minutes, just tell us what it was about and, you know, don't re-preach it.
1: uh, Don't re-preach it.
0: uh, It didn't go
1: according to plan. did that? It did not? That helps. Tell us about it. I ran out of time. I'm sorry to my group for running out of time. We were supposed to like have this interaction time after we got to discuss among groups, but in any case, hopefully you're able to train numbers. My uh, my goal in my group uh, was to to help equip men who are trying to raise godly young men into being godly men, and what that uh, what that looks like. I, I gave a, a handout. If anybody wants it, I, I've got extras around. Uh, But uh, it was a handout that had some some great information from uh, some work that Stuart Scott has done. And then Albert Moeller with giving kind of some points on on what a godly man is first. We kind of defined that. And then when one becomes from boy to a man using some of uh, Albert Moeller's uh, uh, material there in in that. And, And helping young men navigate our crazy world because if we don't take the time to sit down and teach them the world would do it for us and what they're going to teach them is all kind of corruption and sin and leave them very destitute place and so that was kind of our point we had separated into the different seasons of life with those with kids in different age ranges um, even on to adults because what I am seeing uh, come through my counseling office side more frequently is that as adult men uh, we're having trouble letting go when our adult children go off and get married and it's the reverse of that leave and cleave where uh where in-laws are are causing issues and strife within marriages um in that way so that's kind of what we talked about thank you thank you and we're going to have some A in just a moment and gordy i mentioned that cordless
0: mike i have them all up here don't i so, yeah, we will have these two guys share this mic, and we'll pass this one around when we get to
1: that. All right. I'm loud, if you need me to not have a mic. <laughs> no. We'll
2: shut we'll you yours
0: your Yeah, go ahead.
1: Joe. I'm not bitter. I'm only
2: a little bit uh, frustrated that I would have loved it. To... I've got one on. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> Some of us get the little small dainty ones. Um uh, no, I'm a little jealous that I never got to sit in on either of the other two workshops. Mm-hmm. Uh, would have loved to have done that. You'll have to start taping these or something so we can all hear them. But uh, the
1: that way I can throw it against you. There's no such thing as tape anymore.
2: Oh. <laughs> I'm old school. <laughs> what can I say? Um, but our workshop was a mostly uh, practical, uh, trying to talk about how we could put into the workplace the things that our two main speakers uh, dealt with in godliness, and just that key important factor of it's not the pastor of the church, it's the people and our involvement and our faithfulness and our sensitivity in following the leading of the Holy Spirit and being the type of witness we need to be in each and every day.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Um, any? Uh, I'm going to open up the floor now to, uh, to Q&A. What about yours? Mine. Uh, Well, mine, okay, I I did a, it it was basically uh, what I have going on is how to prepare a sermon or Bible study or Bible lesson. And uh, some of the key components, I I need something as a pastor that is really easy to do early in the week. Um, Like, you know, excuse the phrase, but stupid easy, okay? Because I'm not motivated on Monday or Tuesday. Sunday is six days away. And I'm just, you know, so I need something that takes 10 minutes and I tell myself, I'm just going to spend 10 minutes. And so for me, that's highlighting the verbs in green uh, in my text. If it's a New Testament um, didactic literature, teaching like Paul, do this, do that, do that, kind of, you know, or, or uh, you know. so I highlight the verbs in green. And then I build an outline that is not going to survive the week. OK, it's awful. It's simple. Sometimes even has questions. What is he talking about here in verse three? And, uh, but um, something and then I put it away. And what that really helps me to do is a number of things. Uh, Number one, if I've got a problem passage, that's a passage of Scripture where the interpretation is not clear, good Christians disagree. Or a hard passage that's going to take some decorum, like, you know, like um, um, a male uh, role versus female role kind of a passage. Uh, You know, how am I going to be clear and true to scripture and yet give every ounce of decorum to not hit our culture in the face with something that, that they just naturally would be like, whoa. Did I just get dropped into the Stone Age? Um, and, you know, and, and so you know, I went the whole week to be able to. So you, know, you open up a passage on Monday, and you are look at it like, man, I've got a problem passage. But I don't care because it's Monday. I'm not threatened by it. If I find that on Friday or Saturday, that's a problem. That's pressure. I've got a sermon due in like 36 hours. And so we got to crank. We got to get this done, right? And I just don't want to be in that position as a Bible teacher. When I want to discover it earlier. And likewise, on Tuesday, or, and it doesn't have to start on Monday, it can start on Tuesday, uh, Wednesday even. Um, the later it gets, the more stressful it gets. You know, I, I need something really easy. And then, so the first couple of steps I do are each like 10 to 20 minutes. And sometimes what I find is I, I get started, you know, the next uh, point is looking up key words, looking up the definition. And you can use the bag. We use the back of Strong's concordance, uh, not a big scholastic uh, lexicon, but it's better than my guess. And so um, I look up the words back there, you know, and, and I have different tools I use in my, on my laptop. But um, looking up words and, and putting those into the sermon outline wherever they fit, it, where definitions would be helpful. Put it away. The next day I get out and I do cross-references. I look in the center column of my cross-referencing Bible and I look up some verses that the publishers of my Bible thought might be related. And if I like them, I put them in the sermon. I've been through my text now three times, thinking about my text, thinking about the scriptures, thinking about the meaning of words, thinking about the grammar. Okay? Uh, the next step would be historical-cultural references. Um, we, the last thing we do is commentaries because they're written with an agenda. And Gordon Fee wrote a commentary in 1 Corinthians. With all that knowledge of the Corinthians, he never wrote a commentary on 2 Corinthians. That's because he is a good theologian who believes in continuation of the tongues. And 1 Corinthians deals with tongues. 2 Corinthians doesn't. So it doesn't interest him. But he has an agenda when he writes 1 Corinthians because he's thinking, as a good student of the Bible, I would like to write a commentary that defends my view of tongues. And so he's writing it with an agenda. So I don't want to open his commentary like a child, say, you know, daddy, lead me through the text. I want to approach him and say, hey, brother, who is smarter than me, what have I missed? Uh, what have I missed? Or what do I have wrong? And there might be some ideas you have that I already disagree with because I've been through the text five times on my own and I'm kind of an adult in the text now. So that's kind of the process we're looking at, so, all right, um, let's see here, any, uh, any thoughts from our speakers, any, uh, any um, recaps or, or things like that, that that you have? Don't feel on the spot. We all heard your message, so I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, alert you that there'd be a recap or anything like that. But any thoughts that either of you two have before we open up the floor for Q and
3: I'll uh, I'll say that um, I just want to confess that the, the sermon I preached here this morning is as much for me as anybody else. Um, this is, I think, a struggle for all of us to have take significant time to invest in other people. All of us, no matter what you do, we're all busy, and we all have reasons not to do that. So um, it's a good, it's, it was good for my own soul. So, And at the end of the day, nobody else profited. It was good for me. So that's good. yeah, that's, that's, that's honestly true. And the uh, second thing I'll say is in our church, I have an associate pastor that honestly has taught me a lot about this. He models it and just naturally does it a thousand times better than me. And uh, I've been growing personally through that. So it's been, it's been a good process. Okay,
0: very good.
4: Uh, maybe just just one thing just in in thinking through um, um, boiling down to um, you know how we approach a Sunday, I was thinking that we we, we we might we each have tendencies towards a weakness, and so I think it's just good to know where your weakness is and so maybe maybe there's a weakness in a prioritization problem or maybe there's a weakness in like an education problem. So it's kind of those two categories to think through. Um, what do you need to learn more in? Uh, and maybe what do you need to change in your life to uh, make that a little bit better? Something we had talked about before, but just kind of thinking about that. Yeah, very
0: yeah. good. Any, any questions that you guys have here? I'm going to borrow your mic, David, and if you could reposition that between the two of you so you can share. Any questions from our men here that um and do I have a volunteer to be a mic runner to watch for uh hands? Okay, Jude, thank you, but appreciate that. And it is on, it is ready to go. Any questions that you have? Jude's gonna bring you the mic, raise your hand. Way over there, Jude, and please run run. All right, thank you. Faster. Thank you, buddy.
2: I think uh, the closest this would be is to Stuart. I think he's a little young for this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> okay, from the story of the prodigal son, <clears throat> okay, say if you, uh, a child that is forced out of the home or leaves on less than uh, ideal circumstances, mm-hmm. and then the return, maybe many false. Uh, promises in between and this could go to
1: anybody that uh could add to that too what's I, i'm missing the question like uh, I, I understand the account and scripture but what's what's the how do you handle a prodigal? oh that's that at what stage when they're coming back when they're leaving the whole thing well well when, if you have time re, when they're but well, yeah i i preached on that passage <laughs> I'll find it for you. It's, on, it's, it's not on tape, but it's on YouTube. <laughs> What's YouTube? <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the leaving aspect, right? You, you, there's not much you can do if, if the young person is leaving. I mean, I would be a prodigal, right? So, so I left. For those that didn't know, I shared a little bit of that. I moved out as a very, as a very young man. I was, I was 16, 17 years old, uh, sophomore in high school, on my own, living on my own, my own rent didn't want to talk to my mom at all anymore, didn't even know my dad, so I would be a a prodigal in that way. Uh, And so I can speak from that end of experience, there's nothing you're going to do to stop me from going, right? You're going to pray for me while I fall into the pit of despair. And when I do come back after I fall into that pit, what you're going to do is, you're going to help me evaluate, and you're going to evaluate in my life, whether there is genuine fruit and repentance and a, a returning of, of, you know, to the Lord. And so in that, we're exercising grace. I give you a, a real world illustration um, from from some extended family members of mine uh, that happened on this real story. Uh, a gentleman who, uh, who didn't really go to church. His daughter fell in with a, a gentleman that, uh, you know, was interested in, non-biblical relational things. And so she she decided she was going to run away with him. He got a note that she was leaving. Never heard from her again for years. He wasn't a church-going man, started praying. He's like, "I don't know where she is. God does." He said first time in my life, he's, you know, 50 years old or whatever, he hits his knees and starts praying. Gets a call about a decade later, finds out the two of them are still together. He has a grandchild. They've been attending church. God's been working in their heart. They want to have a relationship back with Grandpa. Grandpa's now retired, and he decides to actually relocate to a different state with his wife. And now they're all Christians and living in this glorious relationship. And so as far as handling the prodigal, from the parental standpoint, it's in prayer. From the prodigal standpoint, from the from the child itself, you have to be willing to let your 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 young men fail. Remember, I said you're going to learn more from failure than from success, and that is probably the greatest difficulty for us as parents is we don't want to see them fail, but we can prolong that prod- prodigal portion if we're constantly bailing them out. You know, whether it be a financial sense, a physical sense, some other way. If you're constantly bailing them out, they never find the bottom of the barrel. Right? And God's put them there for a reason. Sometimes, I've said this before, Joe, Joe kind of helped me with this, because uh, we talk on the phone since we're both Southern Minnesota guys. Sometimes we've got to get out of God's way. You know, and we just got to get out of God's way, let Him work. So, does that help?
0: Yeah, very good. Okay. okay. Other questions?
1: You guys can jump in.
0: Yeah, any comments on that? Okay, other questions? Well hand. Well any others?
1: They look hungry.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be yeah, yeah. Amen, amen. Um, I, I, last year, oh yeah, yeah. Right up here with Shad. Last year, you know, some of us kind of lit things up with family devotions. We don't. That was that was an interesting conversation. I like that. But um, um, go ahead, Shad. Yeah,
4: Joel, um, you may have given some personal examples in your practical applications about Sunday mornings before you go to church. How you prepare your own hearts ahead of time. What, do you, what, do you, what are one or two top things you would recommend that maybe you use, you do with your own family, either personally or with your whole family? Okay, so you're talking about preparing our, like, personally my family? Yeah, so I think, uh, well, well, one thing that we do is, um, we don't do this perfectly, but we'll, um, as a church, we, we try to put together, like, a, what we call a worship guide, which is essentially the church service order. Um, that will go through on a Sunday morning, which includes, you know, the scripture passage, the songs that we're going to sing with all of the lyrics, um, any scripture readings, um, essentially that, and try to make it available to the church to be able to. We um, send it out on a Friday email so that the church body gets that and they have access to it from Friday Saturday into Sunday. One of the goals with that is to just help equip the church body to be able to think about the Sunday gathering in, you know, in advance. Uh, so it's just a simple tool. So one thing that we will do, not all of the time, but to be able to look at that and say, okay, what songs are we going to be singing, um, and then maybe sing one of those songs or talk about it. Um, a particular challenge for me as a pastor on a Sunday— And this is just a reality, is I'll go in early in the morning. Um, So what does that do? That means I'm not with my family. Uh, I'm out the door before they usually even get up. And so that makes me absent from the Sunday morning prep. And so, you know, my wife does a great job, you know, as far as, like, working with them. That's something that I I wish that I could do better. Um, So that's a little bit, like, for, you know, maybe Saturday nights and trying to guard those Saturday night times. Um, and so some of that, I think, for our family would be like the outgrowth of like the pre-bedtime routine, which would be kind of like our you know, time with, with the kids, with praying and uh, reading scripture and thinking through that. So I don't know that's very concrete, but that's just a couple of things for us. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, when we uh, were, uh, Tim and Joel and myself, we met talking about some of these things, I don't know, a month ago or something like that. One of the things that I was really excited about, just pairing these two ideas together, but thinking through what Joel said last night, too, and he mentioned this kind of incidentally, but you brought it a little bit, is I would just say, too, preparing, especially if you have kids, but even if not, prepare Saturday night. And one of the simplest ways is don't do stuff that's really late Saturday night. Like, it, it shocks me how many... Families and individuals in the church are like coming into church Sunday morning, groggy-eyed, and and I and I think you know you you, you know your, your kids get up at six thirty during the week to go to school, uh, you're you're at work at seven o'clock. Our, our services aren't starting until nine thirty, and you're you're not alive. Like you know you're you're here, but you're not you're not connecting. And and usually what I find with that is is because we did some. Activity that went to 11 o'clock last night, and then we're not ready for Sunday morning. Now, if you press Joel or me you know, um, on, you know, where in the Bible are you going to find it? It says, you know, thou shalt not stay up past 10.30 p.m. On, on Saturday night. Obviously, you're not going to find that. But if we value the Sunday morning context as actually fostering Christian growth, and as a means by which God uses that to grow us into the image of Christ. We'll think consciously about those things. And, and that's, that, that isn't hard work. Um, the other thing, too, that actually sets you up really well, not only for your Sunday morning, but your whole Sunday day, which for most of us is not a work day. We actually have significant time to actually do some just relaxing, enjoyable things. Pastors like Joel and I, Sundays are not relaxing days. They're exhausting days. Mm-hmm. But but for the rest of you, like set yourself up for actually a true day to worship God, be with your family, and rest. And and I think that'll bear fruit in your life in the long run. So that's another way I'd say it's just really important to, to prepare for that day.
0: I'll add to that too. If you have kids in college and you want to teach them to worship and serve, uh, church is more than just a show. And it's, it's a relationship. And what we found with our... First child we sent off to Bob Jones. He had an extension church, but he had rides with other students, and you had to go as soon as the service is over. And that's just not our family's way of doing church, like you guys. It's like I'm out the door early. Kids aren't even up. Karen, good luck getting them there. And um, you know, this way has been for 20 years since I've been a pastor. And um, but um, but afterwards, our kids always stayed, and and we always stayed. And the point was to talk, not to other children or other teenagers but to talk to adults and be intergenerational and focused and our firstborn when he went to college the first year without a car um, he had to go with the other students when they went and the next year we sent him with a car and he really wasn't plugged into his extension church It just uh, his super road baptist church and he just wasn't you eh, know eh, whatever and uh, but then the next year he had the car he stuck around and all of a sudden, he's talking to somebody, oh, we have to plant 60 bushes today. Oh, you want me to dig holes? Oh, <laughs> older people are like, we love you. Come dig our holes. And so, and uh, now that's a house that if I go visit Greenville and I need a house, you know, I call the Zitzmans and I've got a home. And, uh, you know, because there's relationships. And when our kids left, graduated from Bob Jones, uh, the three that have, have left there, um, they, they, they missed their church. They were grieving more over leaving their church than they were even their fellow students. And um, so that's something I would just say to prepare your young people to worship. Encourage them when they go to college to establish relationships in local churches, not just attend, but purposely get to know people. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, you've got family away from home. So anyway, anything else? I want to add from Joel's uh, presentation, he talked about the med- meditate to motivate. Think about how you're going to motivate others. It was that stirring one another up. There was a verb before stirring each other that I had missed before his presentation that talked about how you intentionally think about how you're going to stir up your brother. And you as men, you know that there's men that if they need help, you can go and, and, and offer them help. And they're like, oh yeah, take over, man, you're, they just love having the help. And then have you ever seen a guy who really needs help and you offer it and they're offended? You can't help them, right? Right. Um, there's some guys that if they're doing something that's really not wise, you can just go talk to them straight about it. Hey, you know, this, is this, this. And then there's other people that if you talk to them, it's like, that's uh, not going to go well. <laughs> you might not get out of there alive. <laughs> You're going to have a fight on your hands. And, and as a pastor, as an under shepherd, you know, you, you try to know your sheep and you, you approach them differently. And you as men, you know men. And, and so, you know, you, you take that into account. And, and here's what the opposite of that looks like. The opposite of med- meditating to motivate of focusing on the people you're ministering to is, hey, I just tell it like it is. I'm a straight talker. Okay, that's focused on you. And and so what I got out of Joel's when he was talking about that is uh, you, you tailor your, your input in the local church to the to your brother and to what they will receive. Uses wisdom. So I appreciated that in his message. Uh, right here we have Ben, Jude. Oh, oh, we have oh yeah, back here. All right, Nathan. I jumped ahead in line.
3: Yeah. Whoa. Sorry about that. That's okay. We like it. Okay, so um, Paul, in his teaching on observing the Lord's Table, warns that we need to uh, participate in the Lord's Table in a way that is careful discerning the body. Mm -hmm. um, As we prepare, not just for any Sunday, but specifically for the Sundays when we are observing the Lord's Table, do you have any recommendations of extra things that we can equip our church members to be doing, um, or that church members can be doing, to be discerning the body and to be fully participating in the observation of the Lord's table not as a ritual but as a memorial and an opportunity for worship okay anybody like to jump in on that so uh, I'll say two things uh, one is interestingly enough I just just this last week had a conversation with a pastor uh, not from this area longtime friend relationship with his church is going through uh, a really divisive time in it. and um, he, he asked, in the midst of that kind of divisiveness, do, do we even have the Lord's table just scheduled for tomorrow? <laughs> uh, and uh, my answer to him was yes, but you probably want to really emphasize what Paul says ahead of the Lord's table uh, in First Corinthians 11. So there are, you know, there, are, there are real practical issues to that question. Um, I think probably the biggest thing when we think about preparing the Lord's table is to equip... Um, our minds, and that, that goes to pastors and teachers, but also just you as men to think properly about what is actually happening at the Lord's table, because the Lord's table for a lot of people is a highly individual experience. It's just me and Jesus. I, I think that if you polled people, that's primarily what they think about, but we, we, we think about even the word that we use to describe the Lord's table is Communion. get commune from that, community from that. The Lord's Table is designed to be a collective experience where we as Christians are reminding ourselves of what unites us to Christ in his death and his resurrection. And, And so if you're going to prepare yourself for the Lord's Table, you're reminding yourselves, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And he's saying that to, to the church. You're doing that. So that means that, that if that's the case, um, when it's coming on the days that we celebrate the Lord's table, whether your church does that every week, every, you know, every month, or however often you do it, as Paul would say, you should think in that mindset. This isn't just about a me experience. It's about a we experience and we together are proclaiming Christ and that makes this a really serious thing. I would also add though not just severity but it's also joyful. Because Paul's admonition at the end of 1 Corinthians 11 there is we're proclaiming and that's that's not a, like a sad word, right? I don't know what your church does when we celebrate the Lord's table we often sing a hymn afterwards. I mean that kind of follows the pattern of what Jesus did in the gospels after the where they celebrate where he first instituted the Lord's table. Um, and that's a that's a celebration. So, so think in terms of both severity and joy. That this is a serious thing that we're t- we're, we're doing together, confessing Jesus as Savior, and then joy, our sins are forgiven in Jesus. And if, if we have that mindset together as a church, I, I think that goes a long ways. I don't know if that doesn't I don't know if that answers all your questions, but I think that goes a long ways in preparing our hearts for those days.
1: One well, can, I, can I add just a little bit to that? I love, I love all of that
3: from a, from a pragmatic standpoint,
1: From mostly from pastors or if you're serving as a deacon or an elder or something like that at your church. One of the things I found that is also helpful, we don't necessarily always do this at our church, is move the day. Sometimes we get really stuck in our routine, first Sunday of the month, right? And it's just, it becomes so routine that you don't reflect like David is saying, and if we're gonna if we're gonna really reflect on what's happening, then then you know maybe it's the last Sunday of this month or middle of Sunday or something else. But sometimes just a small movement not every month you change the day, but every now and then change when you do it. If you if you have a morning service or an evening service, change which service it's at. You know you can do something like that, and that kind of helps keep it refreshed and gives it a purpose to it. Um, at least for our for our church. Yep.
4: Just a a quick word, just my perspective on that question is more from the planning standpoint as a pastor. So we talk about this regularly of like kind of to what Stuart said is like mixing it up, not for the sake of being novel or we always got to do it a new way, but for the purpose of exactly what you're asking, helping people to think about it in the right way. So we, we observe in our church maybe every four to six weeks, um, I know some churches do it every week some do it more or less frequently but as often as you do it we have that responsibility to be sober minded about it and to to help instruct the people so when we do that we, we usually mix up some element of it to emphasize more of the unity aspect um, or more of the um, confession to God aspect or more of the just remembering Jesus in general but just all the different aspects that, that uh, he was talking about the way we plan it to try to help the church body to think about it in the different ways, and it's a it's an ongoing it's an ongoing discussion to to do that. But, yeah. were,
3: you, were you just going to call me Sturts right there, Sturtzy. Yeah, I figured that was coming. We've known each we've known each other since college, and I watched him catch himself. It was, uh, it was well
4: done, Joel. Mm-hmm. Pastor Sturts.
5: <laughs> Very nice, Ben. Um, This question, I suppose, could be directed toward um, any and all of you, but it's probably most directly in response to what you shared this morning, David. Um, You laid the priority of godly men helping other men become godly, uh, I think rightly with those who are godly, with with those who are more mature in the faith. Um, At the same time, you talked about a, a willingness... In those who are younger in the faith to be discipled, and I'm I'm wondering to what degree would you encourage any? You know, I consider myself a young man, um, but all of us who are young in the faith, to what degree do we take on that proactivity? And do you have any practical encouragements for who we can look for and how do we go about that? How? Because how, I think that's I think it is a two way street sometimes also helping some of the mature people in the faith realize you have so much to give. So do you have any practical advice for how would you encourage, maybe it is your sons, how would you encourage young men to go about doing that, navigating that, and asking for help? Any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I barely touched on that at the very end, admittedly so. Um, That's Tim's fault. He only gave me 50 minutes, so, you know. (laughs) No, in all seriousness, that, that, that's worthy of a whole topic in and of itself. So, and I'll say a couple of things, and I would love to hear from the rest of these guys on on that. Um, the, the first thing I guess I would say, uh, and I'll give just, a, just an example, just a few moments ago, is whether you're somebody like me is a pastor, I'm a middle aged pastor. I mean, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm 41, so that's like the definition of middle age, right? So, um, there, there's a lot in life that I have opinions about that I don't really know that much about. Uh, so when our brother back here is asking about the, the prodigal son, I have some opinions. I, I largely agreed with what Stuart said. But, but I, I don't really know much about that. And there are men in my church who do. And I, I would just rather... Whether I'm a pastor, I'm a deacon, I'm a faithful church member, is that, hey, when these questions come up, point someone in your congregation, you don't have someone in your congregation, a sister congregation, that has those kind of experiences. I'm also not afraid, even as a pastor, to go to, I've got some guys in my church who are just really faithful, good men, and say, What did you do when <laughs> this happened? We, we should never be afraid, no matter where we are in our station. Of, of our Christian walk of doing that. So, for instance, I, I wasn't in your your workshop. I, I knew a little bit about your background. I've heard your testimony before. He's a far better resource to talk to than me on that. What what do I know about that? You know, but when I was in when I was in college, my, my then fiance, I mean, she, she called me a goody two shoes, right? Like like literally, she's not my wife. So um, she said I was a nerd, and you know, and that I was a rule keeper. Lynch D. says that, all right? So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I went through a brief period of internal rebellion when I was a teenager. I do not have experience in that question, but there are men in my church who do. I'm, I'm thinking of one deacon in my church who, who's got four kids. Two of them have gone through really difficult times. He's a faithful man, and by God's grace, both of those kids... They're married in our church. They're doing well. They've had some really difficult struggles. Uh, as my kids are growing up, he's the guy I'm talking to. I mean, he, he's the guy I'm talking to. He he knows more about that, about what it means to be a godly father in the midst of that. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the first thing I would say is is that don't be afraid, no matter what station you are, uh, to to seek that. I think by modeling that too, that's going to help some of our, our younger guys. The second thing I would say, and this is, was brought up to me by, um, uh, by Mike Verway, from, Pastor Mike from, uh, from First Calvary. Afterwards, we had a brief conversation, and he pointed out something that was really, really helpful. He said that, you know, there's a lot of pushback that happens when we talk about actively engaging in other people's lives. Where we're in, in our heart of hearts, the real issue is that we don't really want to take the time, in essence, for that. He pointed out something, he said, you know, you say, do, do whatever you're doing with somebody else, but on average, if you do it with somebody else, it takes longer than if you just did it yourself, and, and that, that, that is really true, really true, but, but I think that's a two-way street, so when we talk about our younger guys, you know, what it really amounts to is why they, in most cases, why they don't want to connect is, there's just some other pleasure that I'd rather do, so some of that's just going to have to be straight talk to say, hey, You got three nights a week to hang out and do whatever you want to do for an activity. But why don't you take one of those and go take the time and connect with these guys? I don't know there's any way around that other than just an honest conversation. And if they're born again, if they have a spirit god in their life, they'll get it. So that's just, yeah, I'd love to hear some other thoughts on that.
2: Tim really lives out what he says. And uh, with the kids' thing, that really hit home. Uh, with me when his daughter married into our church, married a young man from our church, and yeah, she had been trained up in church family and in putting others first, and that's something we get away from too much is that idea of church family. Mm. Take time for others. We're in a small town. Everybody knows exactly how long it's going to take them to get to church. They're not going to have to worry about traffic jams, so... Everybody walks through the door three minutes before church starts or three minutes after church starts. Uh, get there early. Take time for people. And even with the uh, Lord's table thing, uh, the, the hope and the excitement and that with Tilly comes. We've only got a limited number of days, and we need to be uh, living for the Lord with each and every one of them.
0: Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. That is our time here for this session. Um, I want to um, I want to point out where we're headed next. We've got lunch, um, beef brisket, baked beans. Uh, we'll have. Uh, looks like we're going to go ahead and serve. I don't know if we serve the ice cream now or if we do that after the next session. Oh, both. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it just depends. I, I don't think I don't think the brownies are in the oven yet. So I think those cook while we do the last sessions, and then we have brownie Sundays. I think that's the way it happens. So. Nice she's, idea.
1: she's nodding. You're getting a yes from the I'm back. getting a yes.
0: That's the way it is. After. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And so um, at 1 o'clock then, we're going to have our fellowship activities. Homemade pizza in an uni, carbon, or home oven. That's in the fellowship hall. In here is all about archery, hunting. Uh, and also there's going to be crossbow covered because that's new, and that's here in the sanctuary. And then down, at the hall, down the hallway all the way on the left again is me with the 10 steps of preparing a Bible devotional or a Bible lesson. Um, those then all end at 2 o'clock, and, you know, it just, it's kind of a go when you want, stick around in fellowship as long as you want. You're not in the way to stick around in fellowship and talk to people. Um, that would be just fine. Um, you may be the last one to close the doors, and that's okay too. So, but um, just, just feel free. Uh, any questions that we have? Any Anything not clear? Okay. I'm going to ask Pastor Joe Haynes to pray for our lunch that we're going to go uh, receive here now. So.
2: Dear God, it's been great to be together with men of like faith today. Just help us to continue to build one another up. Uh, bless the fellowship time around the table. Uh, Help the conversation to be edifying and help us to continue to uh, uh, come up with better ideas to be able to serve you more faithfully. We thank you for the food. We thank you for the church here, for the many servants that have been so active in the preparations. Just continue to bless them, bless our fellowship, the food to our bodies. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you all.